good. Thank you. As I said, um, we took the weekend off um, last weekend, and we were a little bit late, but we were celebrating our anniversary, our 29th anniversary, and we had a great time, but I got to tell you, I missed you guys. Um, I miss not being in church. I, I miss be not being with my family, and so thank you, but I'm really, really, really glad to be back. The bad news is I've had like uh, two weeks now to work on a sermon, and so get comfortable. Um, I got to make up for lost time, but no, I'm so glad you're here, and I, I hope you're glad you're here. If you if you haven't been, we started this journey um, um, right a few weeks ago, and we're going through the Book of Acts. Um, we started right after Easter and stuff, and 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 I'm excited about the Book of Acts because it is this never-ending story. It is the story that began with Christ, His life, His death, and then His resurrection, and continues on through us today. That in fact, Book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that doesn't have a benediction. The only book in the New Testament that doesn't have an ending because it's not over yet. We are still living that. And so I'm really excited that we are going to continue to go through um, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I have no idea how long this is going to take us, but we're going to get through um, um, the entire book and go through it all. But as I said earlier, you know, I missed being with you guys. I, I, I miss the community. I miss um, any time that I'm gone. It, it kind of like a little part of me is just sad. You know, I had a lot of fun. We were at Universal. We rode roller coasters. And so I thought of you every time I screamed. But <laughs> but it, it's I, I do miss it. I, I want to ask you, have you ever been part of like a team or something, maybe like some championship team or ever been part of something that you knew that it was actually just bigger than yourself? You know, I grew up and I played a lot of sports, and so I was on sports teams, and so the idea that, you know, we all worked together, and, and we all came together and did that, and, and probably the best example I have is my years in the Army. And so because everything in the Army, it was like everybody had to do their job. If you wanted to complete the mission, if you wanted to get it done right, if you wanted to get it done well, you had to all come together, and different talents, different abilities, different things all came together. And I think that we are called to be those kind of people. Like, I don't, I've never in my life seen a happy hermit. I, if you just look at someone that's just totally like all by himself, they never look happy. They never are smiling. They're, because I think we are created to be in community. We're created and we have a desire in us that we want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. That, that we're part of something that has more impact than, what, than, than I can just do. And, and when we do that, I think... The vehicle of that, and I know the vehicle of that for God, is the church. I mean, if, if you look through the Bible, God, God used individuals in the Bible, and, and he called individuals, but it, all the major stuff that happened, it was always in the context of community. I mean, even when he called like Abraham in the beginning, he called Abraham because he was going to form a great people. And Moses, he called Moses to, to lead a great people and create a nation. And all the way into the New Testament, you see that Jesus didn't choose just one guy to hang out with. And so if he had a group of disciples and then into Acts and on, it's the church. And so God is always speaking in this idea of community that we are better together than we ever will be by ourselves. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning and, and kind of go into it as, as we continue um, through the book. Of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have Bibles, we have them available for you. You can grab them around. If you don't have one or you lost it or, or you forgot it, you're on vacation, take one of ours, put your name in it. It's our gift to you. If you prefer electronic devices, we have a Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. 
Um, just type in find more, all lower caps, and you can follow along with that. Um, but as always and forever, and these are the only words that are important this morning. I, I don't get to get up here week after week and preach if it's not for these words. We don't even get to be a church if it's not for these words right here. They're the only ones that matter. And so out of respect for the authority and the power of these words, I'm just going to ask you if you'll just stand with me. As we start in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, Luke writes this. He says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of, all, of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Will you pray for me? God, I just thank you this morning. God, I thank you for the opportunity just to come together, to gather in your name. God, as I said earlier in the service, God, you don't need me to preach. God, you don't need us to sing, you don't need us to do anything, but God, you invite us into your presence. And so God, this morning, I pray, I ask that you would just overwhelm us. God, you knew before the foundation of the world this day. You knew who would be here. God, you know what needs to be said, you know what needs to be done. And so Father, we ask that you would just have your way this morning. God, let these words be your words, not mine. Hide me. God, let no one leave here this morning saying, wow, what a great service, but just be overwhelmed at how great a God you are. God, we ask for ears to hear, for hearts to respond, and the courage to live it out inside these walls. And may you get all the credit. May you get all the glory, for you're the only one that deserves it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I, so I asked the question, have you ever been part of something and stuff? And, and I, love, um, I, I love my time in the military. In fact, you know, next week is Memorial Day, and, and we, we're going to celebrate that. And, and I just encourage you, if you see vets, if you see people like that, you know, to thank them and stuff. And, and to, because it takes a lot of sacrifice to be a part of that. But it also takes a lot of teamwork. It, it takes p all kinds of people all together. One guy standing out there. I remember I was in Iraq during Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and we were kind of sitting there. It was towards the end of it, and one guy come riding up on a donkey with a sword yelling jihad at us. And we all were in tanks, so we all turned our barrels, and he turned around and ran away. Um, <laughs> but I can't imagine going through something like that all by myself, trying to like fight or accomplish a mission. Oh, it's impossible. But I think so often we've gotten into this idea of this individualism that when I can do it on my own, I'll just do it on my own. I'll have my own faith. I'll do my own thing. And it was never meant to be that way. We were always meant to experience our faith, to experience if you want to do more in your life than what you can do, it's going to take other people. And we come together for that. And so that, that's the church, and that's always, always been the church. But this theme that I read to you, I mean, 
and that they had everything in common, it, it's not something new. In fact, a few weeks ago when we started this, we talked about it. It's a recurring pattern. It wasn't like just every now and then the, the early church got together and like, hey, we're all friends, we're all good, we're together, and then they just kind of separate. No, it was a constant recurring pattern that we see when they're describing what the early church was and what the church should still be today. We see it over and over again. In fact, turn back to Acts 2, just for a little refresher. Acts 2, starting at verse 43. Sounds very familiar. It says, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You see this theme all through the New Testament when you're talking about the church. And I believe more than any other time, especially this generation, the largest generation this planet has ever seen, the millennials or whatever they're calling you guys right now, I don't know. And if they, they keep changing the name and everything because every two years they're like, oh, it's a new generation. I, you guys. <laughs> this generation more than any other generation, and I think even past generations, have a desire to do something that's greater than themselves. We, we, we see it all the time. We see people like saying, we can change the world. We want to change the world. We want to see it better. We want to see, see something amazing happen. And so you see, so you see kids growing up and say, hey, listen, we're, we're going we're gonna to make shoes and sell shoes. And when you buy a pair of shoes, then someone else is going to get a pair of shoes. And Tom's was born. Or, or you see people that are willing to give up like the entire years of life to just go somewhere and help people that are needy and stuff. And so there's always this desire to do something more. And it's, it's, it's in that. And I don't think there's any better vehicle on the planet to do that than the church. But unfortunately, I think we have gotten together and we've lost kind of sight of that. I love one of my, one of my favorite authors um, is a guy named A.W. Tozer. And I love what he says. He says, 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. The first, the first requisite is life, always, always life. It's not just about us coming together and saying, hey, I'm going to give up my Sunday a few hours in the morning and stuff and show up or show up to some Bible study. Th there's so much more to that. And if you know me, if you've been around, you know, one of my biggest things I harp on all the time is unity, is unity and stuff. But it's, it's not just that. And that's really what I want to dive into this morning as we get into this. So what does it take to be part of something and to be something that does more than I can ever imagine? Because I think every one of us at some point in our life gets the idea, says, what's my legacy going to be? What's the heritage? What am I going to leave behind that people are going to know and people are going to see and, and that's going to make a difference? And so that's really where we're going to dive in this morning. And so there's a few things that I want us to see. Back in Acts 4, chapter 4. It is what he says right at the beginning. Look at verse 32. He says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But instead they held everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. I want you to see the very first thing that it talks about is they were all in common. They were unified. It doesn't mean that they always agreed. It doesn't mean they always got along. Listen, I love every single person a part of this church. I don't always like you. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. <laughs> and I bet there are times that you don't really like me. It's all right. I, if it, listen, if you're looking for the perfect church, it became imperfect as soon as we walked through the door. We don't always have to agree. We don't always have to say this is the way we should do it and stuff. And we're not always going to get along because we're a family. If anybody's family doesn't have fights in the family, then I challenge you and say, then you're not a real family. You're Stepford people, and that's weird. For those of you who can look that up on Google later, Timmy, Stepford families. And okay. But, I mean, we're going we're gonna to disagree. We're broken people in a broken world. But the thing is, is they had the same mind. They were unified. They said, there's something bigger than us happening here. And so we're going to go the same direction. We want to see the gospel presented throughout the globe. We want to see this, this great movement that Christ started in us to, and see it grow and do something. And so they were unified together, which means they didn't gossip about each other. They didn't backbite each other. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing about people in churches and stuff going like, well, they're doing this and they're doing that. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> we are called to be unified. We, we are called to be an answer to Jesus' prayer. In his great high priestly prayer back in, in, in um, John 17, Jesus prayed for us. Did you know that? That Jesus prayed for you and me. That after he prayed for the disciples and what was coming, he goes on, he says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The greatest way for the world to see Jesus is a church that's together and unified. That's the only strategy he left us. It's not about how many programs you have or how big your building is or what, what kind of electronics and kind of gizmos and all the fancy stuff. It's about a church that says, listen, even if we don't agree all the time, even if we don't like each other all the time, we get on each other's nerves, we have one single purpose and goal, and that is the furtherance of the gospel. Because that is bigger than me. That is bigger than all of us combined. I mean, think about what Jesus left the disciples back in the beginning of Acts. He says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. There's not one person that can do that by themselves. And so he made the church, he made us to say, listen, be together, be unified, stick together. And you'll accomplish amazing things. But it wasn't only this unity. Man, they... They had boldness. They were not ashamed. Look at that. Look at verse 33. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. Chapter before, these guys were just warned, like, don't talk about Jesus anymore. <laughs> you, can, you can meet. You can gather. You're good. Have a holy huddle. You know, get in your low groups, open your Bibles, talk about Jesus amongst yourself, but please don't talk about him anymore. And yet they were still out proclaiming. Now, I know it says the apostles, but I think it was all of them. I think everyone that came in contact with Jesus, that their life was so dramatically changed that they couldn't help but tell everyone that was happening and all the stuff that was going on. They couldn't help but speak it out. And so with boldness, they were going out. But I want you to notice something. It wasn't just preaching. I, I think so often we get the fact that, you know, it's not just about me standing on some street corner in my office or in my neighborhood just looking and saying, hey, by the way, you guys are going to hell. <laughs> you need Jesus. 
No, they, they were also giving them themselves. They, they saw needs and they took care of them. Back up a little bit. It's in verse 32. And no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. They, they saw needs. They gave away and they met needs. And at the end of that, it says, and, they, and great grace was on all of them. That word is charis. And usually when we hear grace in church, we're thinking of God's unmerited favor. But I think in this case that it was the grace of the people around because what they saw is a church, a group of people, a community of people that not only told them what they needed, but saw the needs and tried to take care of them the best they could. They put, they put flesh, they put action to their belief. And I think the community in Jerusalem looked at this group of people and said, man, you have so much value because, man, you're taking care of the widows. You're taking care of the orphans. You, I mean, you're helping people. You, you are sacrificing and giving away what you have to meet needs. It's got to be more than just words that we say or a sermon we hear or a song we sing. Listen, I, I say this all the time. We will never be the church in here if we're not the church out there also. And Jesus went out of his way to meet needs. And that's what we're called to be part of. That's bigger than us. And we can't do it just one at a time or, or one, one person at a time. And I, I, I want to be a church. I want to be a community that Four Corners looks at and says, man, may they never close because man, they are just loving and they're meeting needs and they're doing that. And, and so we see this picture that, that they're unified together. They're moving in the same direction. Everybody's rowing the same way. You ever been in a, a canoe with someone that didn't know how to canoe? I have. Sorry, hon. <laughs> You're paddling one way. They're paddling the opposite way. And we're like, we're not getting anywhere. Stop paddling. I'll do it. <laughs> We all got to be rowing in the same direction. And for me, as long as I'm pastor of this church, it's going to be about two things, his word and Jesus. And that's the only thing. Because if it's about anything else, then we can't be called a church anymore. And so it, it's got to be about that stuff. It, it's got to be. And so they had boldness. They were willing to step out and keep speaking, even under, in, even under threats and, and duress. They, they weren't going to stop. But not only that, we, we touched on this a little bit. They had not only a common mind and common hearts, but they had a common care and a common vision. Look at verse 34. It says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Now, this doesn't mean like everybody came in and they just sold everything and they gave it. I think as needs arose, people saw that and they're like, yeah, I'm willing to let go of this. I'm willing to, to, to do this and take care of a need and all that stuff. They, they were marked <coughs> by generosity. And, and I know in, in church, when we start talking about like selling stuff and giving money and all that stuff, people get a little nervous and they're like, you know, they, they put their hands on their wallets and just going, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and and I'm not, I don't want anybody to feel guilty. That's why we don't pass an offering plate here because I think it's a response. I don't want you to feel compelled. I, I want you to sit there and go, like, I trust God. And, and so I do want to tithe. And I do want to give offerings. And I want to give to needs and everything. I, I am going to tell you that I believe this all in my heart. You want to see the depth of your faith? Look in your bank book. 
and see what you're spending your money on, especially in our culture. But these guys, they were, they were generous. And I think so many of us, we, we say, well, one day I'll become generous. One day I'll become generous. One day I'll, I'll have open-handed and, and, and I'll be able to give more and stuff like that. And, and I think we get locked in the idea that, well, I don't really have a lot to give, so it's not really going to make a difference. That is so untrue. Remember Jesus? A couple of fish, a couple of loaves, 5,000 people, 10,000 people fed. There were some people that had plenty. And they gave because they had plenty. There were some people that had little and they gave what they have and everything. And they had a generous heart and they said, listen, we're just going to take care of the needs. Whatever we can do, we're going to take care of the needs. And they didn't think about like, well, I can only give this little bit and that person give this much. So that's a bigger blessing. It doesn't work that way. God's economy is not our economy. God takes us in our obedience and our generosity and says, God, here's whatever I have. I'm going to give it to you. Remember a few weeks ago? Peter is walking in the temple. There's the guy, the lame guy sitting there, and he looks at him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do I give freely, and that's Jesus. And maybe that's all you can give, but if we're obedient to that and we're generous with our faith and with our resources and with our time, God will take that and do something that we can't imagine. And so that's what I'm praying right now. I'm like, God, we want to move because we need space for kids because if there's more than like seven kids back there, there's a riot. <laughs> I mean, stand up here sometime. I can hear them. <laughs> And we need space. We need space to grow, and we want to we see that. And so I just pray, God, I want you to do this in such a way that you're the only one can get glory. I mean, I would love someone to come up and say, here's a $20,000 check. I'm like, hey, thank you. We're going to use that right away. But I don't think it's going to work. I think God's going to work in such a way because I don't want any of the credit. I don't want any of you to get credit. I want God to get all the credit. And so when we give just out of what we have and say, listen, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to trust you, that's a mark of the early church. And that's when we start doing more than we ever imagined. But I think so many times we sit there and you have ever heard this? You see a need like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray about it. James talks about this. James and... <clears throat> James 2, verse 15 and 16, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? I, I think so many of us in the church today, we approach our faith as like, well, we're just going to, if it's God's will, you'll get that. I'll pray for you. Have you ever thought that you might be an answered prayer? See, God is notorious for using people to be a blessing, to meet needs. In fact, I believe with all my heart that if the church was doing everything it was supposed to be doing, if everyone was giving and being generous in the church, there would be no need for Social Security, Medicare, any food stamps, any of that stuff, because the church would take care of it. I think that was God's original plan. I mean, there was a statistic done like 10 years ago or so that said that if just the followers of Christ, the ones that claim to be followers of Christ, just tithed, just 10%, that there would be enough money to feed every person on this planet, with billions of dollars left over to do other stuff. I, I think so often we sit there and go, well, you know, well, let's just pray for that person. Let's just pray for the person. I think sometimes God has called you and I to be an answered prayer. Listen, I'm not asking you to go sell your house or, or, or your property and stuff and bring it all. If you want to do that, I'm fine with that, but you don't have to. I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm saying the mark of someone that is a part of something bigger is someone that sees the need and is generous.
and, and is willing to be an answer to prayer. You know, James talks about that. He says, listen, your, your faith is going to be revealed by what you do. You know, our faith is Missouri. It's the show me state. That's what they're waiting for out there. Show me that your faith is real. It's by the way we live. It's by the way we act. It's by the way we give. And it's all that. And when we do that, we become part of something that's so much bigger than just us. So much bigger. Like I said, there's some people that are like, listen, this is all I can do. God will take that and make it so much bigger. Yeah, cool. God's the one place that we can invest a little, and I guarantee you the returns will be more than we ever imagined. And, and I think we're all called to do that. I, I think we're all commanded to be those types of people. That we see needs, and we don't put strings on it. It's one of the reasons that I'm against designated accounts, except for certain things. Like we have missions designated when we're giving to like certain mission organizations and stuff like that and everything. But I, I've been at a church where every little thing was a designated account. And uh, the check would always come in like, hey, I'm giving this, but you have to use it this way. That's not trusting God. That's making you in control. I'm, I'm saying if we want to be part of something that's huge, something bigger, then we have to come together in unity. We have to be bold about what we're doing. And we have to be willing just to be open-handed and saying, God, whatever you want for us, whatever you want us to give. We have to have open-handed faith. You know? We have to be willing to say, God, it's yours to begin with. You know, there's, a, there's an old story uh, about, you know, this guy was talking to God, and he says, Lord, I just, I want to serve you, and I want to give, I want to totally surrender. I want to be all part of you. He's like, that's awesome. Okay, um, give me your wallet. He's like, God, it's got all my credit cards in it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's identity theft, and God's like, no, give me your wallet. And so he gave it to him. He's like, all right. He's like, okay, I gave you that. He's like, all right, all right, give me your house. Okay, the guy's like, all right, well, I said I want to do this, so here's my house. Give me, give me your wife. Give me your kids. And he's like, wait, God, you're, you're taking everything. He's like, just give them to me. And so the man finally decided he gave them all, and God's like, okay, here's the deal. All this is mine anyway, but I want you to take care of it. Here's your wallet. Here's your house. Here's your wife. Here's your kids. Do it for my glory, not yours. See, do we understand God already owns everything? It's already his. And so we have to walk around faith. I, you know, I, listen, I struggle with this too. I, I'm tight-fisted, you know. I remember we were in Germany, and we got a brand-new car, and because it's the Autobahn in Germany, we needed a faster car because <laughs> it was only right. Um, and so we got, we got this little sporty Honda Civic, and it was all, like, souped up. And I was like, oh, this is so great. And I remember one morning I, I peeled out. I'm like, oh, I got to go pick up somebody at the airport in Frankfurt. Oh, I get to ride the Autobahn. I'm doing 200. This is going to be awesome. I may die, but I'm going to be smiling. <laughs> and I hit black ice in that car. And I'm from Florida. What? Ice is not supposed to be black <laughs> or on the road. Ever. I thought the roads were heated. 
They had like pipes underneath it. There's none of that. That's, that's just ridiculous. You should be able to see it. I saw the snow's white. Why isn't the ice white? But I hit that. I spun around, and there's an angel with a broken wing because he kept bumping my car so I didn't go into a ravine. And I hit one of those gator teeth. Car was three days old. Front end was gone. I wasn't hurt or anything. I was just sitting there going, I was like, my car, my car. And I literally, I heard this in my heart and in my head, God saying, whose car? You, you should let go. Because we're called to be open-handed faith. We're, we're called to do that. And it took all types in this community. Like I said, it's not, it's not like a bunch of rich people came together and said, hey, here it is, all this stuff. It takes every type. That's what I love about church. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your heritage. It doesn't matter your bank account, your, your political affiliation. It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. We're on common ground. Every single one of us need a Savior. That makes us all the same. And it takes all of us. That's why we do, we do a church covenant here. You know, I, I know church membership is kind of this kind of old-fashioned thing. People think, like, well, membership, I don't want to be a member, and that's just crazy. Because we've made membership like country club. We do a covenant that says, listen, there are things that if we're in unity and you're expected to do certain things, you should expect certain things of me, and we're going to come together and say, together, we're going to move this direction. That's why we do a covenant and say, we are all together. And part of that covenant is, like, no one comes to this church and just sits in a chair, that everybody has a job. Because it takes all of us. And when we're doing that, listen, I'm telling you, if you buy into this and you start feeling, seeing God move in the church and life, you're going to want more. It's the one time we can be greedy. Did you know that? I'm greedy about seeing God move. I, I want to see more and more of it. I, I want to see it. And, and, and so every so often we get a chance to do that and it becomes like this whole like above and beyond. See, because I believe all my heart you can't outgive God. You can't outgive your time, your resources, any of that stuff that you cannot outgive. And so it becomes so much more. And they give us an example of that. Look at verse 36 and 37. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. I love this guy. See, because I think when we're part of something more than us, when we're part of something that we see moving, that it does inspire us. That it, that it encourages us and it sets us up. And you see this guy, Joseph, actually Barnabas, that says, you know what? I got a field. I don't need it. I'm going to get rid of it. Take the money and use it. And so he's willing to sacrifice. And I'm going to tell you this, that if you want to be part of something more, something that's bigger than yourself, it's going to take sacrifice. Don't let any pastor ever say, like, all you got to do is just sit there and just pray and you'll be blessed. You don't have to do anything. Just sit there and everything's going to be. Sing the songs, raise your hands, do that. Give now and then. Show up on Christmas, show up on Easter, and God will give you everything that you want. <laughs> There's an evil in our world today. It's called the prosperity gospel. And I, can I tell you, it is not in this Bible. In fact, Jesus says the world will hate you because it hated me. You're going to have trouble. It, it's going to take sacrifice. When I chose to be a soldier, it took sacrifice. Not just for me, but for my wife, for my kids. My daughter was uh, three months old. When I got a call and they said, pack your bags, go. And 30 days later, I was putting stuff on a boat to head over to Iraq. I missed her first Christmas. 
I missed all the kinds of stuff that just gone. It took sacrifice, but I was part of something bigger. And that came to home for me over there when a Kuwaiti man came up and he had a coffin in the back of his car. He says, all I want to do is go bury my son. Thank you for being here, for getting those people out so that I can go back home and bury my son. If you want to be part of something big, something big, it's going to take sacrifice. Especially in a church like this. We're a small church. It takes everybody. And people are going to say, like, I'm going to have to, like, make a priority of this is my time. And I'm going to give that. And I'm going to do it. It takes sacrifice. But not only that, it takes commitment. I love these guys were committed. We're going to see here pretty soon what happens because they stick to their guns and the persecution that starts happening because of it. Listen, you and I aren't going to stick with anything very long if we're not committed. That's one of the problems in our culture today. We don't know that word anymore. My wife and I got married. We said that we have one rule and one ru- we have two rules. Every day we tell each other we love you. People think it's crazy. I'm on the phone at work, and I'm talking to her, and like, I love you, love you, love you, love you. Who's going to say it last? Love you, love you, love you. Like, oh, that's crazy. It's like, no, it's a promise. The other rule is that we never, ever mention the word divorce because it's a commitment. And I wake up every morning surprised because she's still there. (laughs) I'm like, well, you are a glutton for punishment, honey. (laughs) It takes commitment. I think God calls us that same commitment to church. That's why that's why I don't understand people that bounce around from church to church to church. I think there's a place, and if it's not here, then let me help you find that place. But there's a place where God has called you, where he's going to use you, and you have abilities and talents that they need there. And we commit to that, even in the hard times, even when it's rough, we commit. And then finally, it's we got to be encouraging. I love that they changed his name to Son of Encouragement. We're going to read along, and Barnabas is the guy that went along with Paul. I think Paul was a hothead. I think Paul was cocky and stuff like that, and Barnabas was the guy going, Paul, we're okay. You're doing good. Let's keep going. We have to be encouragers. But the question is, this morning, for you and I, is do you want to be part of something bigger than yourself? (coughs) Do you want to leave a legacy? Do you want to leave a heritage? That starts with Jesus. Starts right there. I, I know we live in a culture of individualism and stuff. I was a youth pastor 30 years. I loved it when kids would come up and they'd have like tattoos or piercings. They're like, I'm like, why do you do that? I said, so I can be an individual. I'm like, then why do you look like all those 20 kids over there? <laughs> See, because I believe the only way you and I are truly individuals when we become what God created us, and that only happens through Jesus. But it starts with Jesus and then then it goes on to joining a community and being part of it. I love Chuck Colson says this. He says, the church is the only institution supernaturally endowed by God. It is the one institution of which Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Man, that's that's this. You understand that? Every other institution, every other group on this planet, the gates of hell can prevail not us talk about being part of something bigger than ourselves and that's what the early church was and i think that's what you and i are called to today and so again i ask the question do you want to be part of something bigger than yourself 
It's going to take unity. It's going to take boldness. It's going to take generosity. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take sacrifice. But in the end, the greatest words in all eternity that you will ever hear is well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the only praise I ever want. There is a world out there waiting to see hope, to see something that's real, that brings real change. And I know there are great services, there's great things out there that are helping people and feeding people and helping them get jobs. But without the gospel, it means absolutely nothing. It takes all of us. And it will change everything. This morning, I just want to give you a chance just to kind of mull that over to respond to that. I want to give you a chance just to see maybe God is calling you to something greater. Maybe God is saying, listen, it's time to step up. It's time to start being generous. It's time to be committed. It's time to start being bold. Whatever that is, I don't understand why people go to church and don't leave changed. Because everywhere I read in my Bible, when we come into God's presence, that person is different or they walk away sad. My prayer is that you don't walk away sad today. That we become the church outside. That we become so known and needed in this community that, man, there are people just begging for us to stay. And that more churches are started down here like that. More churches that are based on scripture because there's so much need down here. There's so many people that just need Jesus. And so we need to be praying for our other churches, our friends, and everything that God would just move because I think the gospel will change everything in four corners before anything else does. So what about you? Do you want to be part of something bigger? It starts with Jesus, and it can start today. Let's pray. God, I just thank you this morning. God, I thank you that the same power, the same things that happened at the beginning of the church can still happen today, God, if we will just surrender and be committed.